Hello, and welcome Hi. to Ask Marketing Live. My name is Wes Yee. I'm joined today by Leah Friedman, not Joanne Martin, um, which we will get to. Um, hopefully you all can see my screen, which I think is shared, but if not, <laughs> please post something in the chat and let us know. Uh, for those on Spotify or, or hearing the recording, obviously you can't do that, but hello to you as well. Um, it is a pretty beautiful Tuesday late morning here in the Bay Area in California, which we don't take for granted given 2020 um, and everything that's been going on. But but let's jump right in. It's Ask Marketing Live. Uh, so just right off the right off the <laughs> the top here, uh, episode two of Ask Marketing Live. Joanne is not here, um, so so that's me, distracted co-host, and I'm joined today by Leah Friedman. Um, who leads content uh, on my team at Guru. How are you, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, thanks for asking, Wes. And, and well, welcome to Ask Marketing Live. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited to be here um, to chat about a bunch of really cool questions that I saw coming. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm pumped to have you. You always have such interesting takes on any, anything marketing um, and content especially. Um, and we're going to cover tons of, of uh, kind of neat, interesting stories and, and, and get some of those takes. But before we do, I um, thought it would be interesting to just uh, get to know you a little bit for the audience um, and just bounce a couple questions off you. So uh, real quick, it's, it's always useful to kind of get a, a sense of the context of where you're coming from, what you're up to. Um, so how do you explain to people what you do for work? Uh, so I... Given that I'm a writer and editor by trade, I usually try to tell, try to explain to people, and by people I usually mean my parents who struggle with this, um, that uh, it's a lot like uh, magazine writing. Um, a lot of long form stuff, just really explainery, um, trying to make sense of what can be a difficult or rather abstract concept of knowledge management here at Guru. Um, so, you know, I try to do that by, by making it accessible using examples from pop culture, which I truly, truly love, um, and, uh, making it entertaining when it, when it might not always seem to be at first glance. So. <laughs> um, and what are, and what are you focused on at work? Just give, give people some. What am I focused on at work? Um, so I do, I try to do a lot of the longer form storytelling. Um, I'm, I'm not focused on branded, like super producty content, let's put it that way, which I think really belongs to product marketing. Um, I look at content marketing as trying to set the context for, you know, why your product is the right solution. It's like, what is the problem in the first place? Um, what are common pain points, that kind of stuff. Um, so right now, focused on a white paper, um, exciting stuff, but uh, you know, also helping to lead larger content strategy and SEO work, which I know is always a hot topic. Awesome. Uh, and by the way, if you are uh, attending live, uh, please introduce yourself, share uh, where you're from, what your name is, what, you, what you're working on. Um, that's always fun to get a little bit of uh, chat going for sure. So what's your favorite part of your job? <laughs> Uh, well, uh, truly, um, it's the people that we work with, uh, present company included, lest I be fired. But, uh, you know, really, it's, it's problem solving, it's creative problem solving. Um, it's, you know, how do you make something 
And I, I mean, I've worked at a number of different companies. How do you make something like Internet of Things, which is super beyond a lot of what a lot of people think about every day? Like, how do you make that accessible? How do you make um, computer-aided design accessible and now knowledge management, um, which seems like a super dry topic, but I have found it to be anything but. Um, so, yeah. Excellent. Um, all right. Well, I'll throw some some wacky ones at you. This is uh, one I think we might make a, uh, a tradition here on the show. Uh, what inanimate object would be the most annoying if it played loud, obscene music while being used? I think it would probably be your pillow. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I, I am a light sleeper to begin with. And uh, I mean, I think that is technically torture. Like, according to the Geneva Conventions. So I'm, I'm gonna stick with pillow. Sleep deprivation, solid yeah. answer. Um, what's, your, what's your best and worst new pandemic habit? Best is that I have learned to cook and well, and worst is that I've learned to bake. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I've never been um, a confident uh, chef until until this year um when i finally had to give up the crutch of saying you know i know i was supposed to cook tonight but why don't we just go out um i have learned that i really enjoy cooking and baking but um it has you know not been the greatest for impulse control at the same time to have all of these sweets in front of me it does feel like at a certain point in the pandemic, uh, and, and obviously just speaking from my experience, at some point there was this idea of like going into, and hi, Randy, in sunny Phoenix. I, I'm how, how, What is the weather like there uh, this time of year? I'm always amazed at how uh, the climate in certain places uh, varies so so amazingly. Um, I feel like at, certain, at a certain point in the pandemic, uh, we came to, at least here, here, in, here in my in my household, we came to a point where it sort of felt like some pseudo vacation, uh, as far as uh, on the eating side. And so, um, <laughs> yeah, there was. Yeah, a I would say that that ended for me in August. Like for for like six months or so, I was like really giving myself a pass. Like, yeah, I can have Nutella right out of the bottle because it's a we're in a pandemic, and then it's like this this <laughs> is gonna be for a while, and I can't I can't keep doing this. Yeah, we clicked into some kind of like we're traveling mode for eating, uh, which for us, we when, when um, like my girlfriend Olivia and I travel is typically just food tourism. Um, and so, yeah, it was like, what kind of giant feasts can we produce for ourselves tonight since we're at home all day? Um, and uh, yeah, doing a whole, whole load of dishes every day was sort of a, a wake up call on like, hey, maybe we should uh, try to actually come up with a real strategy <laughs> around this. But yeah. Um, yeah, what's what's been the top? Uh, well, I know it's your, your sort of guilty habit, but but on the baking side, what's been the top? Uh, what's what's what am I looking forward to? Uh, maybe getting some extras of when we're finally, hopefully, someday back in the office. Um, so the the apple cider donuts, based on a New York Times recipe, um, they are really terrific. Like we went up to. So I'm I'm originally from the Northeast. I love fall stuff, and I don't mean pumpkin spice, which is fine. I mean, like apple everything. Um, and I used to always love going to the orchards and getting cider and cider donuts. Um, and here in the Bay Area, like not so much a thing. Um, but uh, my in-laws live in Sacramento and there's a place called Apple Hill, which is like a collection of different 
apple growers um, outside of Sacramento. So we, we've gone up there a couple of years in a row um, and got some cider donuts, which are okay, but they're not amazing. And I would say at this point, like I'm proud to say that I make much better cider donuts. Um, All right. Yeah. All right. Can't wait. Nice. Um, all right. Well, with that, uh, let's, let's keep rolling. Uh, so real quick. Yeah. So Joanne, not here. Episode two. Hi, Joanne. Um, she, she did not abandon the show. Uh, she has actually just gone on vacation. Um, so she is in the Grand Canyon, sent us, um, all of her best wishes, uh, from this amazing, uh, place. Um, have you been to the Grand Canyon, Leah, by the way? I have been to the Grand Canyon. Any, any but not not in a hiking capacity, uh, in a let's drive there, take some pictures, and then leave. Okay, okay, my kind of my kind of tourism for sure. Um, any takeaways? <laughs> we'll ask Joanne for it. It is truly it was it. I I've seen pictures of it my whole life, and when I visited, I was I was blown away by the by the scale of it. Like you you don't really get a sense of of how vast it is until you're there. Um, so definitely encourage people to go. Um, yeah. All right. Well, we'll try to get more of a recap from Joanne since she was just there. And I'm sure uh, going anywhere during a pandemic is a bit different than, than not. So looking forward to, to hearing back from that. I had to throw one of these in here because I know you are our, our team's uh, resident Seinfeld uh, expert. Um, but, uh, yeah, we wanted to take some questions from the Ask Marketing channel. For those uh, joining us from Rev Collective, shout out to you. Um, these questions have all been pulled from the Ask Marketing channel. Uh, feel free to send yours in. Um, at any time, we pull questions for the show from the channel. And uh, and we're just going to run through a few of these while we look at George Costanza bobbing his head. Um, before before we do, though, any, any just... I, I, I feel like I should ask you some kind of Seinfeld related question, just knowing you. <laughs> Any statements <laughs> regarding Seinfeld uh, coming up on, I think, 30 year anniversary? Uh, we are past the 30th anniversary. Past 30, okay. Yeah. Premiered in 89, I want to say. Okay. I thought I saw um, an advertisement, but, but perhaps, uh, perhaps I was off. It's okay. I'll forgive you. Um, I think as it relates to marketing, um, it's not a lie if you believe it. No, I'm kidding. Don't don't lie to your customers. Um, don't pull a George Costanza. Uh, they are smarter than we than we assume sometimes. Um, and <laughs> uh, you know, just they'll figure it out if you're lying. So don't don't be like George. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, and th thanks for the update on Randy. 66 degrees in Phoenix, usually in the 80s or 90s. Uh, had a record summer, though. Um, so thanks for thanks for the update on that. Uh, all right, well, let's jump right into the questions then. Um, so first one uh, was kind of a general question about launching an ABM strategy from the ground up. Uh, ABM, certainly over the last five years, has become quite, quite the term, quite the category uh, for marketers. Uh, it feels like almost more for people who aren't marketers uh, to go to their marketers and ask them, hey, are you doing this? Are you doing ABM? Have we checked that box? Um, something I've, I've invested in um, at, at a few companies now, but I've, you know, you're, you're the guest, so I'll throw it over your way. What, first of all, maybe what does ABM mean to you and, and where would you uh, advise our, uh, our, our friend here to get, to get started? Um, 
So as, as a content marketer, my answer is always going to be your foundation should be content. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, more realistically, it, it is one of these things that I think kind of is it's the new hotness, so to speak, like, oh, uh, well, our other methodologies haven't worked. ABM is, is the silver bullet. Um, I don't think there's ever going to be a silver bullet in marketing. And I, I, I wouldn't trust anyone who, who would claim that. Um, Sorry, we'll the show then. Sorry, thanks for joining us. Like and subscribe. <laughs> um, that's, I'm not saying that ABM can't be effective. Um, and I think when done right, it is super effective. I think it's just, it really is about, about finding the right way to speak to your strategic customers. Um, and that's that's going to look different for each customer, and it, you know, that's what makes ABM some, somewhat difficult to scale. Uh, and, and that is actually why I think sound, a good content foundation is key. You should have a lot of puzzle pieces at your disposal um, to to be able to to speak differently to different accounts, really. Sure. Your thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think for me, it, it sort of starts with looking at your best customers. I think that's always kind of a, a foundation for me is like, how did we, how did we find this person? How did they find us? What was their experience going through the evaluation and the sales process? What were some of the activities that, that we did that were successful? Kind of like do a bit of an analysis, come up with that playbook of like, how did we get our best customer? Um, and which of those things can we, which of those levers can we pull again? Um, so a lot of it is sort of defining, you know, what what is on that list. Uh, put put everything on the table to start, um, and then really it's just like documenting it, creating. A pro I'm such a process person, but like create the process around it so that you actually are going through. And when people come into your pipeline, they come and check out your product, your service. Um, that you're that you've you've added those pieces to it. Um, I think, you know, as far as ABMs, like getting more into sort of the account, uh, the essence of account-based marketing, I think it's really, uh, and this came very, very much th through in the thread um, about personalization and trying to really cater your, the experience that you've created uh, for the specific customer that you're going after. And whether that means, uh, you know, hopefully it starts with sort of like tokens in your emails and making sure that if you're sending a mass email to someone that it's personalized for them. Um, but, you know, it goes much further than that. I think you, know, you, you mentioned obviously a lot about content, but choosing the right content that is relevant to the person and not just sort of making it, uh, taking an off the shelf uh, email template that, that maybe your vendor gave you, but, but taking the time to look at their business, understand what their requirements are, understand what their motivations are, understand what their roles are, um, who the key people are. Um, so it really is as much about sort of the prep work and the research um, of an account as it is about sort of like tactically, here's what we need to do. Here's the you know checklist of, of a dozen things or whatever that might be. Um, so very much ab about personalization, I think, uh, but start with, start with building that playbook for yourself and, and figure out, you know, what's worked already for you. Um, and, and, you know, certainly there are lots of marketers who can, who can give sort of tactical advice and, and maybe you can find the silver bullet out there. But I think for, for anybody, uh, you know, we all have different, different offerings, different companies, different products and services. And so finding what works for your audience is, is what's best. All right. Uh, next question. We get a lot of low quality signups that want to talk to sales to get a demo, even though we have self-serve options available. They're definitely willing to pay, but they retain at a very poor rate. Has anyone figured out a good way to still collect revenue from these types of users without taking sales time? 
Some ideas are hosting weekly demo webinars, sending demo recordings, improving product UX, having one low-cost sales rep or chat rep to service as many as possible, but curious to hear how others have handled this type of problem. Um, I mean, my instant reaction is like, that's a pretty good list to start with. Uh, I would try all of those things. Uh, you know, I think, you know, certainly if you're, if, if the, the biggest problem is just scale, starting with something that is, uh, that can be consumed asynchronously, like recorded demos felt like kind of the most obvious, uh, place to start. Um, yeah. Anything there stick out to you? Anything that maybe the, this person didn't ask? Um, well, I would say it sounds like the, the other side of this beyond just sales is the retention aspects. So like we are, they're putting sales time into what they know are low quality leads and then they may convert, but the retention rate is low, meaning the process then just starts all over again for what might not be uh, a customer for a very long time. Um, and I, I think that goes to CX really. I don't know. I don't know how much, <laughs> how much we want to talk about CX in a marketing conversation. Um, but I think it really is about aligning your your sales teams and your CX teams um, to make sure that their goals aren't mutually exclusive of each other. Um, but and and you know I mean scaling self service in such a way that it seems like it's personal um, through through academies like we have here at Guru um, or or just you know kind of a one-to-many approach for, for the CX side. Um, but yeah. 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 I think cer certainly reasonable to sort of, yeah, take it, take it as like, do you, first of all, I think actually you want to ask the question, like, do you want to retain these people? Cause I think it's sort of written into the question is this underlying idea of like, these are low quality signups. They won't retain. They're willing to pay, which is a bit of a, a confounding factor. But you know, one of the, one of the questions is, do you, do you actually want, do you actually want these customers? Because if you're if the way that it's been described, it, it sort of sounds like maybe not. Um, and, and maybe it's worth testing some sort of like disqualification uh, tactics on, on, on your landing pages, on your website, uh, within your sales process. Uh, you know, maybe those demos are uh, more exclusive in the way that they're presented so that these types of customers who you know, they're going to have high cost of acquisition, very low long-term value to the company. Uh, if you can't solve that retention piece of it, maybe you just want to disqualify them right at the top so that you don't even get them into your funnel and, and you don't uh, get them past a recorded uh, a recorded demo or something to that effect. So yeah. um, um, I think it's worth looking at what the low quality leads all have in common. Um, and it may be a product or a market education piece. Um, that you just might not be the right product for that kind of fit. Um, and and that, sh that should hopefully reduce the number of low quality leads that you have coming in. And and also always, you know, we just actually talked about this in the meeting right, that we had right before this, but uh, talk to those, talk to those people who are churning, understand, try to understand what is it that's different about them than the customers that uh, you're not describing as, as low quality. Um, signups and, and see if there's something there for you or or it just really isn't a fit and maybe they shouldn't be getting into your product uh, in the first place. All right, uh, there's there's actually been, this isn't one question, but there's been a number of different requests for reviews, recommendations for agencies, for platforms, vendors, 
Um, and Rachel from the Guru side uh, within Revenue Collective uh, has kind of pulled all those together into Guru cards. Um, so we will be sharing out uh, some show notes that have links to those. I think uh, you know the way that we operationalize these internally is really that they are sort of living, breathing uh, resources for us. And so my hope uh, for the for the RC group is that we can continue to iterate those. Uh, you know, as we get more and more members who are participating and uh, increase the knowledge of the of the of the collective. Uh, we're able to document it and, and iterate on each of these cards so that they can continue to be useful for people um, as they go, because there really is no better way to get to um, you know some of those answers and, and, and uh, honest honest feedback about people's experiences um, other than than tapping into uh, colleagues and and peers. Um, so just a little a little plug for that. We will share some of those uh, and and just uh, you know as a follow up, there's there's one on uh, digital agencies. There's one on uh, social media freelancers. There's one on CRM software, uh, Facebook ad uh, help. Um, so there's a few that that we'll share there. All right, next question. Um, looking for a hot take here, and and these these types of questions are always so interesting because they you know every business is so different, and and even the definitions of what these roles are uh, can can often change. But what do you think about demand gen and sales enablement being owned by the same person? Does it work? What would be the challenges? Uh, you want to take a shot at this one first? Oh boy. Um, I think it could work. I think it's also an awful lot of work for one person. Um, and I don't think that person would stick around very long because I mean, really, <laughs> um, they're, they're two, they're two very time intensive functions. Um, and, you know, I mean, developing a pipeline, you know, requires a ton of different channels to manage. Um, and then, you know, just being able to, to report on all of the metrics, the success on all of them, and then to layer on top of that, being able to prep sales reps um, for success, that, I mean, that, that is a full-time job in and of itself. You have, you have specialists doing that. Um, and if, if this person exists, I, I would really like to meet them. Um, and you know, even though the end goals of both of them are the same, right. Which is to, to close, close wins. Um, it, it's, it's just, it's a stupendous amount of work. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, yeah, for sure. Sort of the the human question there is is significant. Um, from a more like, I'll take maybe the functional angle of it. Um, you know, I really see the purposes of these people as being pretty distinct. On the demand gen side, I think uh, if you're looking for someone, and I think sort of the spirit of this question is like in a resource constrained environment where maybe you can't hire multiple people, are these two roles that could be combined? And sure, anything is possible if you have that right magical person who can do it, amazing. Um, but um, it really, you know, to me really demand gen is, is that, that function exists to, uh, to create top of funnel, to open opportunities, to get, com to open conversations, to get people to, to, talk, to, uh, to talk to your sales team. And and on the sales enablement side, it's really to give the sale your sales team uh, the tools to be able to execute on those conversations and to close. And so, if you think about sort of like the the most simplistic way is like 
one one group is here or one person is here to open and the other person is here to close and, and help others close. It really is two distinct um, components of your funnel. And if you are a five person company, I can understand why you might want to merge those and, and you might have to. Um, and certainly there are ways to do that. I would, you know, I think sort of my, my advice there would be to, uh, to scope each role and really clearly define, hey, here's what we expect of you because yeah, you can't go to someone and say, I need you to to be completely responsible and do a uh, 100% of what a demand gen person would do, and also what 100% of a sales enablement person might do, um, but really sort of create boundaries around those, or you won't succeed at either. All right, one one more question. Um, always one of my favorites because I feel like it really sort of stretches the the creativity from a marketer. But uh, we are looking to do a pretty sweet, love that high-end direct mail campaign. The gift is sick and has a solid tie-in to our business. How are people going about getting prospects to cough up their addresses these days, since we're now not all in offices? Um, I, I, I kind of want to take two, this is a two-parter. Just curious, like what's been your favorite direct mail piece uh, that you've either been a part of sending or that maybe you've received? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, this is going back a ways. Um, but when um, when I was working at TV Guide, <laughs> so, you know, I'm not like 100 years old, even though I may sound like it. Um, but uh, I, I did work at TV Guide for a bit. Um, and the stuff that we would get from networks was always so clever. Um, it's, and that was, it wasn't necessarily functional. I mean, it could be candy or like, just like a dumb hat or something like that I would never wear again, but it was like, I would keep it on my desk because it was so delightful. And I mean, that is, I mean, these are companies that thrive on advertising and, um, you know, have amazing writers who work, who work for them. Um, so it wasn't surprising. That, that they were able to, to really get a lot of fun related stuff out. But um, I'm, I'm trying to think of like a similar, something similar from a SaaS company, because I know it's not a really a one-to-one -one comparison. Um, and and I'm, I'm struggling a little bit, mostly because it's like, I've gotten a lot of t-shirts, um, <laughs> one of which that, you know, a few of which I, I really enjoy sleeping in. Um, and, I think it, depends, it kind of depends on what your goal is, right? It's like, but I don't want to be just like, well, you did a great job. Um, if know, we, I mean, if there's one that you really like that we did, definitely worth mentioning. Um, just the, our, our enlightenment boxes. Um, they were just, they were so well thought out. Um, just, and from a thematic perspective, you know, it's like stuff to help you calm down, which, which was really nice. Um, would have been really nice this year. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe something we can um, that we can we can revisit. Yeah, I think for me it's uh, the, the it's more about like what is your goal, and if if you're if you're a high dollar product and you're just you know you're just trying to get those meetings, um, I would certainly encourage you to send high value direct mail. And so uh, you know some things I've gotten some like really nice noise canceling headphones or uh, you know those 
nice um, like portable speakers. And, and I've seen those work really well at events as well to get people to, to come and, and sit down with you. Um, so, you know, something you'd want to receive, something high value, uh, certainly current events um, and sort of like the hot products, There's there always tends to be stuff like that. Um, maybe let's just jump into the second part of this. So how are people getting prospects to cough up their home addresses? Uh, this came up and, and actually was answered in, in the in the channel, but uh, there's uh, some kind of nifty ways that, uh, I use the word nifty, who am I? That's my podcast voice for you. Um, that that some of the vendors uh, have have been uh, have offered up to to companies like ours and people who are uh, trying to make direct mail work in this context where people are at home and and I think the sort of the the best uh, solution I've seen comes from uh, Sendoso which uh, we use Sendoso by the way and I know they're uh, in the in the revenue collective so shout out to Sendoso um, where they sort of create this uh, almost like broker situation where they'll they'll sort of be that middle person and 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 say hey what's your preferred shipping address. Uh, I think PFL may do this as well. Um, so they'll collect the address on your behalf as the, the vendor, the service provider, um, and uh, and they won't share it. And so it sort of gives the the recipient um, uh, you know, the opportunity to say, okay, I'm, I'm not giving away my home address, but I'll still be able to get what this person is, is wanting to send to me. Um, I've seen uh, some other vendors where you like choose your gift, uh, which is kind of nice as well. Of course, this does sort of miss out on the element of surprise uh, that, uh, is often sort of a fun part of direct mail. Um, I'd be curious if, you know, if anybody has, has solved that, uh, for, for anybody, I don't know if, uh, companies are forwarding things on from their, their office addresses or, or anything like that. But, uh, I've, we've not looked into using data providers to like stock people's home addresses. I, I think that's probably, uh, not best practice. Uh, but I will say if I got something, here at my house out of the blue from a company that I was not a customer of and that I had no real relationship with, I would be pretty freaked out and I probably wouldn't, you know, it, that would have been a, a money sink for them because I, I would be, it would be creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a good point. So, so some surprises aren't good surprises. Right. And so if you, if they, if you find out that, uh, you know, that STR who's been pinging you for, for months, uh, all of a sudden now has your home address. Maybe that's not a positive uh, surprise. Yeah, I think I think the aspect of saying, like, we would love to send a little something your way, you know, here's where you can put in your address. That is that is a much better, I think, option for me. Um, and I, I, would, I would think probably for a lot of other people. Totally. Um, yeah, I will say uh, on the sort of receiving uh, direct mail, I've gotten a couple from, um, I think the company is called uh, Alice. And um, they, uh, you know, they kind of have a nice strategy that I think is worth if you're doing, if you're starting up direct mail as a, as a component of your ABM mix, um, I, I would recommend what they do. And, and so they, they they spend the time to do the research. And so this the, the, the rep that, I, that, that uh, sent something to me, uh, had had I, I'm guessing, checked out some of my social profiles and saw that I uh, I post a lot about my dogs. Um, two of them are, are just behind me out of camera, but uh, and sent me something related to dogs and, and something for them, um, which I thought was really thoughtful. Um, so certainly, if you if you have uh, this as part of your mix, do the research, try to figure out um, you know what really makes people tick because you know uh, especially in in B2B SaaS where we spend most of our time it's very competitive and a lot of vendors do similar things and so and and, and especially you know reach out in similar ways right how many emails do we get every day every week that just say like 
hey, here's three reasons I'm reaching out to you that are beneficial to me because I'm trying to sell you something. Uh, what's a good time to talk? And and well, I think this all also goes back to that first ABM question, right? Which is like, you can't just templatize those those kinds of outreach. Like you have to be personal and, and you can't you can't make assumptions as to what something's gonna like. You have to do the research. Um, yeah, I'll throw I'll throw a weak sports uh, analogy here, just because that's that's my brand. Um, but you know, if you go to the plate, uh, having never seen a pitcher before, and and you just try to try to try to try to hit the ball out of the ballpark against somebody you've never seen, it's very difficult because you don't know what that person's release point is. You don't know what kind of movement they have. You don't know what uh, you know what pitch sequencing uh, they're using. And so you just you're going in blind, and and that's really similar to sort of the templatized approach to to outbound sales or marketing. Um, and the more you can do that research, do that preparation, the better chance of success you'll have, and that you know those efforts will actually see see rewards. So, um, all right, well we'll leave it there on the on the Q and A. Um, just from the chat, Randy Randy from Phoenix uh, actually contributed a couple couple ideas um, on. Uh, I think this was for the demand gen enablement idea, a uh, num number of different AI tools out there uh, for, for SMBs or startups that have limited budgets and maybe don't have too open headcount for that. Um, a, lot, a lot of opportunities there. And then potentially look at hiring for freelancers to fill some of that void. And so maybe you have someone who actually is, is good at, at managing. Um, and so you can, they, can, they can kind of outsource some of that work, certainly um, would, encourage, would encourage folks to explore that as well. All right, next we are gonna jump into what are your thoughts? And I know you have thoughts on this one because we have talked about it, <laughs> but uh, let's start off right, uh, right at the top. We're just gonna go through on, on some current events and stories, by the way. Uh, what are your thoughts are just our off the cuff reactions. And so uh, I think this is one we both wanted to add. So I don't know if it needs too much intro on the context, but I'll just start maybe. Uh, Quibi, the short form video streaming platform uh, started by uh, Meg Whitman, uh, among others, uh, has decided to close down. Um, and this has uh, been heavily reported on because of the incredible amount of money that they raised and invested in this company in such a, a short period of time. And I, I just, I mean, there's a lot of jokes around too that, that are probably a bit mean for you know the downfall of the company, but, uh, I just thought this little screenshot right here from their open letter that showed that uh, you know a two billion dollar investment company has twelve followers on it was was something else. And then you screenshotted a tweet, and I'll just throw it over to you as as a former TV Guide expert. Um, <laughs> what, what's your take on Quibi? What <laughs> what was good? That, what what did they what did they click into? What did what didn't work? What was kind of yeah? What's your take on this? Um. So. I do, I do have a lot of thoughts, namely, like, how do you burn through $2 billion in, I mean, they were, they were operational for longer than they were producing their, their app. Um, but it really, it does give the impression of like, you burn through $2 billion in six months. Um, and I mean, the, you know, leadership has said, well, if it weren't for the pandemic, we would have been in a really great situation. But it's like, I don't think anyone is anyone was ever really looking for a streaming service that they had to pay for that they could only you know that they could only watch on their phones. Um, I mean, for the last you know six seven years, the big story has been 
binge television. Um, and that involves sitting down for hours at a time and, and just occasionally clicking, yes, I'm still watching. Um, <laughs> I, you know, if, if I'm on my commute, which is now involves walking from my coffee maker up to my office, um, I, you know, I'm not looking to watch 10 minutes of television. I, it's for me, I mean, it was like the one part of my day where I didn't have to talk to anyone or, or listen to anything. Like it was just zoning out time and like re recentering myself for work. Um, and they, they have this stunning array of talent um, who was making shows, but it's just like, I don't know anyone who actually watched them. The And I, I'm a voracious pop culture consumer. I, the only time I ever saw anything content wise from Quibi was that, golden arm clip on Twitter um, that everyone was just like laughing themselves sick over. There was just no market for this. Um, The end. (laughs) It does feel like having kind of looked at it um, as a business uh, from, from when it was first announced that their strategy was essentially we're looking and seeing huge growth in the streaming industry. We want some of that. What do we have? We don't have an app yet. We don't have content yet, but we have money. And we have people who can get money. And so if we throw enough money at this, perhaps we can buy our way into a, a strong position here. Um, and I thought your the, the tweet that you chose here kind of sum, summarized it perfectly. It was like, it takes more than just money to be successful as a business. And it takes more than just people who've been successful at other businesses to be successful as a business. Um, and I mean, how many Fortune 500 CEOs have we seen uh, even this year having to to sign off or or uh, you know sort of admit <laughs> admit that they weren't prepared for uh, you know a, a black swan uh, event? But but even you know in this case, I, I'm not sure I'd buy that that it was the pandemic that that ruined what they had. It, it really felt like even from the creators who they were paying that it was very much a sort of transactional. Uh, a transactional strategy where it's like, we're going to pay you for this. You give it to us and we will use it uh, and market it so much that we can, you know, bully our way into being Netflix junior. Um, Which I think, you know, there's, there's a reason that companies don't just throw $2 billion at six months and say, we want to jump and be a top five (laughs) streaming service right away. Uh, They have to, you know, you can't, not everyone has like the Disney plus library where they can just go back on decades of content that people already have expressed demand for since before either of us were born um, and, and generate that. Out of actually, that's a good point. I do think an all originals approach is, is, a, is the wrong one for this, for this kind of business. I mean, Netflix, what their original business on DVD was, you know, back catalog. Um, I don't know of any service aside from this one really that has launched strictly with originals and succeeded. I mean, look at YouTube red that, that didn't succeed. And they had all of, you know, they had all the Google money and the brand equity of YouTube name. Right. You've got to validate your, the, the validate the demand before you jump with both feet into, to just sort of the aggressive sales and marketing, um, you know, dials. Uh, so yeah, um, I would say we would miss it, but I, I also never, 
I mean, did they, I assume, I imagine they had a free trial at some point, but uh, yeah, it, it, they never hooked They had a three month free trial. And the, even at its peak, it had like less than, less than a million downloads. Was there a way you think this could have succeeded? If they had offered it free for a year, if they had taken the, some of that marketing money and just said like, hey, this is, you know, we know we have to compete against YouTube. We have to compete against Netflix. We have to compete against Disney Plus. Our only way in can't just be content. We have to compete on price. There was a really interesting article, and I'm trying to remember where it was, where this this factoid about the Grant documentary came out. And it was basically saying, like, they didn't want to allow any screenshotting, so you couldn't build memes around it, right? So there's that whole thing gone. They specifically didn't want it to be consumed on any product but a mobile device. Um, and, like, their whole thing was, like, well, you can watch it in portrait mode or landscape mode. How exciting. It's like... <laughs> I just want to watch it on my television. And they did launch, I think, an app for television like the same week that they shut down. But I think that that would have made it more likely that people would try for free and then potentially forget to cancel. <laughs> <laughs> there is an element here of like, you know, what what gets you into the consideration for that? I guess it's kind of like the, now they're like channels, basically, channels of streaming apps um is is kind of like well i think about this so if you want to get in there you have to really the, the table stakes are sort of whatever the successful vendors have right netflix didn't require you to just watch on your phone and so why would you choose some why would you want to watch something that's a compromised version of something that you probably already have um and so whether it is you know having uh, you know, good apps for all the different devices you might want. If it is having a deep library of content that you already know that people want, um, these are all sort of table stakes for for a service to come in and have it. And I think that's you know, if you look at the differences in Disney Plus, HBO Now, which are probably the two successful HBO Max. HBO Max. Okay, well, maybe their brand it was a bit confusing in how many different properties they had, um, but those are sort of the two that you would look at and say, hey, they did this right because they checked more of those boxes of what what are the table stakes now to get into the streaming wars. Um, and, and Quibi just didn't do that. They really sort of all in on one approach uh, that didn't click. And, and this tweet sort of <laughs> highlights it, right? It's like even the people right at the top didn't quite rationalize what they wanted uh, with what they settled on. Almost feels like a compromised product where it's like, I think it should be this. You think it should be that. Let's find some middle ground and make that our, our final product. And it ended up not appealing to, to nearly enough people. All right, let's go into the next one. And uh, I put this one on here. Uh, it's a it's a kind of interesting campaign that Reese's is doing uh, for Halloween where they send around this, this robotic door that distributes candy uh, and creates photo ops for uh, people to share on social which I think that part of it is, 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 is creative. And I wasn't so interested in this specific story, but more um, what does Halloween look like during a pandemic? Uh, do you have predictions? Do you have a, how, how are you managing it? What's, what are you gonna do when someone rings the doorbell? Um, well, where I live in the last like two years, I think we've gotten two doorbell ringers per year. <laughs> Um, so I'm not too concerned about it personally. Um, but I mean, I think at a certain level, right? Like 
you don't want to have to tell your kid, and I say this is a non-parent and child non-understander, like, like Halloween is like the greatest night for a kid, right? So how do you say like, sorry, like in addition to every, like in addition to the fact that you can't see your friends and you can't go to school, like you also can't go trick or treating. Um, but you know, I think it's gonna be a lot of like, probably staying within a specific social bubble, like of people that you might already like, oh, where well, we're gonna treat it, we're gonna go trick or treat it, Caitlin's house, um, you know, I think it's it's going to be much more planned out this year than it has been in years past. Maybe more of like a costume parade and like going home and eating cake um, than it is like traditional trick or treating. Maybe some apple donuts. Mm. All right. Well, let's uh, let's jump to the next one. Uh, yeah. What's this one? Stand this up for me. So basically, um, it turns out that people love behind the scenes TikToks and brands specifically like fast food brands have figured this out and they, and, and not just fast food, but like retail brands. So they're paying their employees um, on the clock to create branded TikToks like um, about secret menu items or like what a day in the life is like. Um, and I think that that is just a complete reversal from, from what we saw like a few years ago, even where it was just like, no social media on company time. Um, like you're not allowed to speak on behalf of the company. Only PR can do that. Like, and the worst thing that could possibly happen was an employee, like, uh, you know, one of these things going viral where, um, you know, secrets were told or like it could undermine the, the it could undermine the brand. Um, and now basically they're saying like, look, you are our greatest content creation resource. We figured that out we're already paying you. So, hey, like go for it. Just just don't make us look too bad. <laughs> <laughs> it does seem like, uh, especially these types of brands where you've got, you know, companies, we're looking at a slide that has um, Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, when you've got thousands and thousands of employees that you almost have no choice. You have to come up with some kind of plan that gives your employees a structure to do this so that you avoid kind of the, <laughs> the uh, in the article there was the example of uh, I think it was McDonald's milkshakes or, or something where they were showing like moldy stuff happening in the background. Um, I you know I think it's kind of we're talking about table stakes for starting a streaming service. It's almost like table stakes for having a business now uh, that if you have enough employees, they're gonna share stuff, and so you you need to as a marketing org as a, as a business come up with some guidelines for them. Um, and if you can lean into it, like we're seeing Duncan has here here to sort of tap into the interest, um, then I think, great, like you've, you've turned a potential risk into a real reward. Um, I'm not a TikToker, so this this didn't appeal directly to me, but I do love sort of seeing some of the behind the scenes hacks and, and different things. I'm a big in and out secret menu fan. Um, but, uh. I'm not a TikToker either. I can't figure it out because I guess I am on, it turns out. Um. All right. Well, let's uh, let's move from donuts to Kazakhstan. Yeah. So I found this really interesting. So uh, when the first Borat movie came out, um, Kazakhstan, they like they tried to sue Sasha Baron Cohen or or 20th Century Fox, basically saying it was a defamation of their country. Um, and truly, like. 
Kazakhstan looks like nothing at all like what he has portrayed it as. Um, the people are, are completely different. Um, they're not white. Let's, let's start there. Um, but this time around, uh, Kazakhstan is really leaning into Borat mania and they're using his, his very nice, I'm not going to do the voice, the very nice catchphrase. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just a, a major reversal again in, in a decade and a half. Um, and they're basically saying like, well, you know, we're, all publicity is good publicity. We need tourism and uh, we're a beautiful country and come check it out. It's just, it's, you know, changing with the times. It's very interesting. It kind of, you know, to tie it back to the last uh, topic, it, it kind of was a kind of a good example of like leaning into what the internet culture uh, is interested in. And I was surprised uh, that the article has a, a very happy ending where uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, who I still sometimes mentally, when I think, when I see his name, uh, I think of the figure skater, uh, Sasha Cohen. Sasha Cohen. <laughs> um, uh, he, he, you know, issues a statement, uh, you know, just a, a very positive kind of good feeling statement about, about how, um, how they reacted. So it was in, in fact, very nice. <laughs> All right. Uh, next slide on here, I thought was, was interesting. Um, just curious what, what your thoughts are on here. This, this chart came out of, um, a piece that, uh, folks over at Ritholtz Wealth Management released, which is just kind of a interesting breakdown of who owns US corporations, <laughs> public corporations, in effect. Um, and you can see, you know, over the last 20 years, uh, the percentage owned by by foreign citizens, by foreign foreigners um, has gone up from 20% to almost 40%. Um, I know that I have, you know, probably nerded out on, on more of this type of content than than most, but yeah, just curious if you had any thoughts looking at this, seeing some of the shifts over the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, not without turning this into a very political podcast. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I think it's probably worth, worth reassessing what it means when we say made in America or owned, you know, created in America these days, um, when much of the money is, is flowing out of the country. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think it also is probably indicative of, of economic realities of the average person that, you know, if you own stock in anything, you are, you are in the minority, um, of, of the U S let's say, um, yeah, I think it's something like the top. The top twenty percent owns eighty percent, or something. Something, yeah. It's it's a very uh, unbalanced um, figure, and and you know the the stock market has been obviously a, a big topic in the news uh, in twenty twenty. Um, and I think one of the yeah one of the things that we may see uh, you know another chart that probably will be worth breaking down is how does how does the income equality how does income inequality uh, affected by the changes here this year where so much. Um, it seems like so much of the stimulus uh, and and sort of the inf the inflation of things has happened in the in the stock market as opposed to you know you go to Trader Joe's your eggs still cost the same amount 
but the ratios that you're paying for a stock uh, have have exploded. Um, and and what is that going to mean going forward? Who knows? I think interesting to think about for sure. Um, and so when I see charts like this with pretty dramatic change over a fairly short period of time, at least uh, I, I think of 2000 is not all that long ago. Um, but to see sort of the dramatic changes here, uh, interesting to at least at least pay attention to. And certainly it's been a hot topic this year. All right, let's click over and sort of bring us home. Um, we're going to click into recommendations. Um, let's go right to left since you had a couple here. Um, Sure. Start with um, the first one is, it's a show, it's on Amazon Prime, it was originally on Stars. it's called Counterpart, it involves alternate dimensions and spies, it's really good, and no one else has seen it, I really want to talk to someone about it, so this is really much more of a personal recommendation, it, I, there's like 18 episodes, I think, um, I, I was hypnotized, um, so please watch it, you'll, you'll really like it, that's a guarantee, and, uh, then, then come to my LinkedIn and we'll talk about it. Um, <laughs> and we got the guy from the insurance commercials. Yes, yes. <laughs> JK's he's been in a lot of other things. Um, anyway, uh, also Equator Coffee, they have a subscription plan, um, which is great for me because I'm going through that stuff. Like there's no tomorrow and I need to be awake for today forever. Um, so, yeah, uh, big fan. Um, you should, you should get their stuff. Can you actually taste these hints and accents that oh, no. I have a very, I have a very, I don't have a palate, let's put it that way, but I can tell what's drinkable and what's not. And this stuff is like very drinkable. And how do you take your espresso? I, I have lattes. Sometimes iced, most of the time iced because I'm basic. Um, <laughs> fine, yeah. Fair enough. Um, and my recommendation for the uh, for the episode is actually going to be uh, these joggers on the left here. They have both men's and women's. Uh, they are the most comfortable and yet wearable outside the house joggers that I have found. Um, I'm wearing a pair right now. Very uh, very highly recommend these. Um, yeah, there's nothing else to say as my my dogs start to snore uh, at our recommendations. Uh, we can jump into kind of just closing out. So uh, I left the plug in here from um, from Joanne, SearchSpring hiring now, uh, searchspring.com. Uh, and uh, the plug from our side on the guru side is uh, our Peloton bike contest is wrapping in just uh, four days. So it closes at the end of the month. Uh, get your entries in. Um, you can sign up for our content or anything like that. Um, and you yourself can add a uh, very expensive and fancy bike to your home gym. Highly, highly recommend um, jumping in there. All right. And we are doing a uh, Find It and Guru contest for Revenue Collective members only. Um, so hopefully you've already seen some of uh, the, the Guru cards that have been created in, in I think, every channel now um, has access. And, and I think every user does as well. Um, but uh, specific for the show, we're doing a contest. Pull up the show notes, um, and this will be open uh, not just right now, but also for I think the next couple of weeks uh, to anybody listening uh, to the recording on on Spotify. By the way, um, yeah, go into go into Revenue Collective, find the contest card, uh, click Open in Guru, and you will be counted. That's it. So um, 
there is a also a relaxing whale video. So thanks, thanks Rachel for setting that up. Um, it's been great so far working with um, the Revenue Collective group and 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 being able to kind of build this into into the community. It's been been a lot of fun. Uh, and so the aforementioned recap for this show, um, you can just go into uh, into Slack, search for Ask Marketing Recap slash Guru that. Uh, the card will pop up and voila. Uh, some plugs on the Revenue Collective side. If you are not a Revenue Collective member, certainly would encourage that. Um, we are the Ask Marketing channel and this is the Ask, Ask Marketing Live. Um, there are links, again, these will be in the show notes that we'll share out um, in the description for here on the Crowdcast uh, to sign up for Revenue Collective. Um, there's also links for how, how we use Guru at RC, um, how we use it in Slack. Um, and then using the Guru emoji, if you are a Revenue Collective member and you see some content that you think is worth uh, codifying, cardifying, if you will, um, you can just tag it with the Guru emoji and um, someone on the Revenue Collective Guru team will pull that together for you and will preserve it for posterity and for future users. Um, and it'll also give us a place that, uh, as we talked about earlier, um, we can iterate on and, and continue to increase all of our collective knowledge. Um, and then finally, uh, just if you want to bother us, send us a question for the next show. Obviously, the channel works. Uh, but you can also find us on LinkedIn. Leah's is linked there. Joanne's and mine are linked below. Uh, this show is recorded and will get posted on Spotify uh, whenever I get the time to do it. Um, and if you or uh, if you know someone who you would like to see on the show as a guest, feel free to suggest them. Um, uh, by any, <laughs> uh, any any of the uh, the aforementioned channels, profiles, links, slacks, etc. And with Thank that, you so much for allowing <laughs> me to crash. Um, it was, really, really it was my pleasure. Thank you for crashing. Uh, really appreciate you joining, Leah. It's always fun uh, to to chat through the um, the topics of the day with you. <laughs> Uh, likewise. Any message? Uh, any message for the fans before we sign off for the day? Vote. That is my message. Seconded. Please vote. Um, and uh, have a wonderful rest of your day, rest of your week. And uh, our next show, as mentioned, is on November twenty fourth, last Tuesday of every month. Have a good one, bye.